0: passage that I'm preaching from tonight is one verse from Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 the first commandment many of you know that I love to be outside on a day like this including riding my motorcycle and I did that a bit this afternoon and it was riding through some of the areas that are turning the trees are turning and I kept thinking of the opening verses to Psalm 19 Where the psalmist say the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Is that not true? This is a beautiful, amazing day in the state of Michigan. The psalmist goes on to say, but the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. As beautiful as the trees are that are turning bright yellow and red, it is the law of the Lord that is perfect and capable of reviving our souls. So before we read that one verse from, Psalm, or from uh, Exodus 20 verse 3, may the end of Psalm 19, uh, 19 be our prayer as well, where the psalmist says, so let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So now from Exodus 20, just one verse, that is verse 3, just a few words. It says in Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And because in the evening we talk through the basic truths of the Christian faith guided by the Shorter Catechism, I'm going to read questions 46, 47, and 48 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism that explains that phrase, you shall have no other gods before me. Question 46 is, what is required in the first commandment? The answer is, the first commandment requires us to know and acknowledge God, to be the only true God, and to be our God, and to worship and glorify Him accordingly. Question 47, what is forbidden in the first commandment? The answer is, the first commandment forbids the denying or not worshiping and glorifying God as the true God, and our God and the giving of that worship and glory to any other which is due to Him alone. So you can see how those two are just opposites. We're commanded to worship God, and God alone as the only God and our God, and we are forbidden from worshiping anything in His place. So question 48, what are we specifically taught by the words before me in the first commandment? The answer, these words before me in the first commandment, teach us that God... Who sees all things, takes notice of, and is much displeased with the sin of having any other God. So tonight, we are going to unfold or unpack, I guess is a way that I might say it, Exodus 20, verse 3, and this first commandment. And I have a little bit of a confession to make as we begin tonight, and that is this is the first time in my 20 plus years of pastor ministry that I am preaching a series of sermons on the commandments of God. Now, you might find that rather surprising. I've taught on them in many other contexts. I've taught catechism classes where we've gone through them repeatedly, but I've never preached a series of sermons on the Ten Commandments. Some of that is just a matter of that's how things have worked. But also, when I was in seminary, my ethics professor made the point that beginning pastors often go to a few places in the Bible— including the Ten Commandments, very early in their careers in an attempt to straighten out the errors of the people that they're coming to know. (laughs) And to be certain, it's not as though the people in this church don't have errors. We do. But his caution was directed to pastors And that is, it is our tendency, I will tell you, as a pastor, it is my tendency to try to look for easy answers to difficult heart problems, to make the end a law in itself. And it sounds like this, be a better person. Make sure that you do what's right. Don't do what's wrong. Do that, and you have obeyed God. Rather than reading the Ten Commandments within the whole of Scripture And seeing that the commandments, as well as the rest of the moral law, point us to Jesus. And in the light of Jesus, teach us how to live after Him in the commandments that God has given. That is how the Ten Commandments function for the Christian. For those who do not know Jesus Christ, the Ten Commandments, as the moral law, show us what kind of holy God has made us and what we do That is offensive to him. So that is my caution and my ambition tonight with the words of my ethics professor still ringing in my ears some 20-some years later, that tonight and in the weeks that follow that we hear the law in all that it requires of us, both pre-confession of faith in Christ that is showing us our need for Christ and then post-conversion that is showing us what it means to follow after Christ. But we do not become moralists in the process. That is my prayer. Instead, as the law reveals our hearts, it will clearly point us to our Savior. Luke 24, verse 47 says, And and beginning with Moses, that is the law, and all the prophets, Jesus himself interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. May that be true tonight when it comes to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. So just two things that I want to say to you tonight from these few words, eight words or so if I counted them correctly. And that is first what the commandment means when it says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then secondly, what that means for those who are tempted to have other gods before him. So if we think to first of all tonight what it means, you shall have no other gods before me, I want you to look at the commandment and its words In a way that avoids the tautology that might be inherent, by tautology I mean just repeating things that hardly need to be said. So for example, saying we gather together is a tautology. When we say we gather, we're obviously together. No need to add the together, yet we say it anyway. The first commandment can sound that way to us in that why doesn't the commandment just say, you shall have no other gods? But then Moses adds, by the Spirit of God, you shall have no other gods before me. Why adding the before me? Our catechism says the before me is to simply add, we should have no other gods. I believe that's true. We should have no other God but the true God. But it's also the case that the phrase, before me, helps us understand what it means to have no other gods in a way that if the Spirit of Christ, speaking in the Old Testament, in the moral law, the first one, if he had not added those words, we would be missing something very important. Are you intrigued? Okay, let me explain to you how that works. We don't read the words idols or idolatry until the second commandment in the Ten Commandments. In the second commandment about how we worship, an idol is something we use to represent God in our worship. We worship God through an idol, something God has not commanded. And the second commandment says we should not worship God using idols. But we can also use the idea of idols or idolatry in the first commandment. Or a more general definition of idols is anything that we would worship beside God. Something we would worship when only God uh, deserves our worship. Now when this commandment says, no other God's before me then, it means something. This idol is something that keeps us from seeing and worshiping the true God for who He is. I want to extend the illustration, what you see in your mind, the idea of viewing God. Let me give you an example. Last Friday night, a friend of mine coaches East Grand Rapids. Their football team. They were five and zero going into Friday night. They're now five and one. We won't describe the game. At a few select times during that game, I cheered for something that happened. It didn't happen very often, but when something good happened for East Grand Rapids, I would stand up to cheer. There are other times where I sort of made up times to tear, to stretch my legs, and to give my backside a rest. And when I did that, I want you to imagine the people who were behind me. They could not see. I was before them, that is, blocking their view of what deserved their attention. Idols do the same thing for us with the true God. They block our worship from ever reaching the one who deserves it. And the first commandment says nothing should keep us from worshiping the true God. The catechism emphasizes it in all three of the questions that we read tonight. He deserves our absolute devotion. How in the world could you look at a world like this and the beauty it entails, that tree turning to purple, and think to yourself, the Creator does not deserve my worship. He deserves every bit of the worship that you could bring to Him. He is worthy of it all. Nothing deserves your worship except for the one true God. And that raises something very important, something I think is at the very heart of this commandment, and probably the most important thing you should remember about the first commandment tonight. You shall have no other gods before me. What you should remember is when other things are placed before God, we begin to treat them like our God. That thing becomes a substitute for God. It becomes our priority in life. We worship that thing as though it were our God. This could be one thing. It could be a number of things. But if it stands between us and God, so that we do not worship God as He deserves, then we can rightly and truly call that thing an idol. And I want you to know this is true of every single human being. Everyone worships something. I could give you the argument from Romans chapter 1, but I'll give you a different argument. A number of weeks ago when we started the series of Ten Commandments, we said the Ten Commandments summarize the moral law. And Pastor Dan preached a sermon in which he said the nature of the moral law is that he was given before... The Ten Commandments even existed. In other words, the moral law was given to us as humans, not just to the nation of Israel. Or if I can extend it today, the Ten Commandments not only apply to those of you who call in the name of Jesus, they also apply to you if you are a human being of any sort. These things apply to you. To say you should have no other God beside the God of the Scripture is not a claim I'm making simply because you are believers in Christ. That claim is made by the God who is who made every single one of you. But to put it a little differently, whether tonight or not you believe the Scriptures are true and Jesus is your Messiah, you are still called to worship the one true God alone. There is one additional thing you should know about the first commandments. Remember, we're talking about what does this commandment mean? You shall have no other gods before me. There's an additional thing you should know. You should know about these idols that stand between us and God and block our worship of the true God. Because we were meant to live in fellowship with this God, when there is an idol that stands between me and the God that I am called to worship, not only am I, am I not doing what God requires of me, what God deserves, the worship He alone deserves, we also harm ourselves. We also do damage to ourselves as human beings when we do not worship God as He truly is. I want to give you an illustration of this to extend the analogy that I began a few minutes ago. Imagine your worship as a bright beam of light. When I was teaching in the prison and I would talk about glory, I would use the idea of light. Sometimes in the Scripture, in fact, glory is portrayed as light. That is the radiance of God. Now imagine the worship that you offer to God as a bright beam of light. You were to shine that light on the God of the universe, universe, bringing all attention to Him to sing songs like we've been singing tonight, extolling Him as God, saying, you are God, you are God alone, I see that, I worship you, I will live my life in service of you. And that light of your worship is intended to be shown on him and him alone. But when that beam of light falls on him, we see the glory of God in so many ways. The psalmist, again, in Psalm 19, says the glory of God is seen throughout creation. It's seen most clearly in the Scriptures, but it is seen in all of creation. whether, In other words, the light that we bring, that we shine on God, God has his own light which is glorious and good and makes the world... The canvas on which his glory is portrayed. But now imagine placing an idol before God. Instead of God receiving the light of our worship, the idol does instead. And because the idol is not able to receive the glory the way God does, it is incapable of receiving our worship. It was not designed to receive our worship. It cannot tolerate in a true sense the worship we would give to it. It does not have the capacity. It cannot bear the weights. That idol functions more like a mirror reflecting our worship back to us and it blinds us. And what we end up seeing is that our worship that we'd offer to an idol is not really so much even worship of an idol. Really, it ends up being worship of our own hearts. And we start to think the problem is we need to pursue our idol more. That's what we need to do. We need to try a different idol. Or maybe we haven't accumulated the right idols. Something's not just working right. So we try harder and harder and harder to find the thing to worship And yet, we never seem to find the right thing because we're not worshiping the only being in all of the universe who can receive the glory that he deserves. Now, I understand if I've extended this analogy a bit and you wonder to yourself, what does that really mean? Let me give you an example that might help. (laughs) This is one of the things I had to pass by my wife first before I could give you this example. It very much involves our life together. And it goes back to the time that I struggled through some very difficult things, and I'm not happy to tell you about this, but I do so in the hope that it's helpful to you in some degree. If you think back with me to when I was in seminary, my wife and I did not have much money. That is, to put it mildly. My wife was teaching at a Christian school, and I was preaching occasionally on the weekends once I got past my first year. And if I recall correctly, our collective income was less than $15,000 a year. Now, you might say that was a number of years ago. Well, let me illustrate for you how poor we were. There were people who would see us at church and they would drop off groceries. My uncle was a farmer would go to the slaughterhouse and buy lame hogs, have them processed and give us the meat (laughs) because they wanted to help. Now imagine one day, and this was actually what happened, my wife came home from work and I told her with firm conviction we needed to buy a new television. We really needed to buy a new, te- a nice television, a bigger television. Some, someone had given us an old console and it had pretty much stopped working. It didn't work at first and then it only got worse. And I had come to the conclusion we needed a new one. Now again, just to remind you of the fact that we were both very busy. She was teaching her first job. She had very little time in the evening. I was supposed to be studying all the time. I should not have had much time either. Plus the fact we had very little money. So why in the world would I think that we should invest money in a television? Objectively, it made zero sense. So here's what was going on in my heart. I found seminary very, very difficult. I struggled with sinful tendencies of all sorts during those years, and the work seemed overwhelming. I don't know how you deal with your life when that happens, but here's how I dealt with it. I looked for an out, a distraction, a place to release the pressure. And at least one of the ways, at least the way I'm telling you tonight, that worked for me was getting lost in watching TV. I did not go to my wife or some trusted friend to talk about what I was experiencing. I'm pretty sure if I had, they would have pointed me to the power of Jesus to work in me and through me. My wife has done that over and over, so I have little doubt she would have done that then. They would have told me that it was okay to get less than an A as long as I did my best with what God had given me. They would have pointed me to God. To put it in rather stark terms, in your studying worship god i also did not go to the scriptures that equip us to resist temptation and give us light upon our path the bible tells us about the great story of redemption and my little part in it while studying in seminary the spirit of christ through the word would have given me hope but i didn't go there instead i turned on the tv and i would get lost in it for a while and for a while it was okay. And then when I turned off the TV, or eventually when our TV did not work, the same problems were still there. The only thing that was changing was my sense of what I really needed. What did I think I really needed? A better TV. Obvious, isn't it? That's what I needed. I needed a better TV, along with other things. To put it in terms of this sermon, the worship I should have given to God was being blocked, was being blocked by my idol. And instead of watching a movie as reflection of the goodness of God in creation, instead of watching TV in a good, controlled way, my idol became a mirror, shining the glory that God deserved back at me, and I became more and more convinced that I needed this, it was best for me until the day came when my wife Hank came home from work and I said, honey, sit down. I have to discuss something serious with you. And the words that came out of my mouth were, we need a new TV. That's really what I need. And to be honest with you, in the moment in which I said those words to my wife, I believe I was convinced That's really what I needed. Not the worship of God. Not the hopefulness that that worship entails in the glory of Jesus Christ. No, I knew what would make my life better. It was this idol. All I needed was a better idol and my life would be fine. Now, you'd be surprised to learn at this point... That's only the first part of my sermon tonight, what the first commandment means. Now I want to talk about what it means for us. You might say, Pastor, I already heard what it means for you. You should not watch TV. (laughs) I gave that as an illustration about the way that idolatry works in the first commandment. Let me see if I can probe your heart. And I know this is kind of a tender matter. So please extend to me the openness as the Spirit of God leads you to consider the way the first commandment might work in your heart. To go back to the story I just told you, I never told my wife at that time what was going on inside of me. I just told her some variation of how my life would be better if she would just let me get what I wanted. I'm wondering as I told that story whether you recognize that struggle in any respect. It may not be about buying a TV. You may have listened to that story and said, oh, pastor, how anachronistic. You wanted a new TV. How cute. Maybe the idol that stands between you and the true God is comfort. You'll do anything in your power so that your life has no pain or discomfort. Maybe it's sex. You've told yourself if only you can have what you want when you want it, your life will be good. Maybe it's money. My sympathies are with you if you think it's money because you've been told over and over and over again if you only accumulate enough for yourself, if you only have enough money, your life will finally be good. Maybe it's power. You think to yourself when you're standing in the shower retelling conversations at work, if only people would give me the respect that I deserve, my life would be rights. Or fill in your own idol that stands in the way of worshiping God. It's not hard to find something before God. Our hearts create them, and our culture affirms the wonders of our creations. Some of you have noticed an Atlantic article that was published this past week. It's really the summary of a book by a Gospel Coalition writer and a pastor. The title of their book is The Great Deterching, Why People Are Leaving the church. The article is entitled, it summarizes that book, it's entitled, The Misunderstood Reason Why Millions of Christians Stopped Going to Church. You want me to read a section for you? It says, the defining problem driving people out is just how American life works in the 21st century. Contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Rather, it is designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own professional life. Whereas one ages the professional prospects of one's children. Workism reigns in America. And because of it, community in America Religious community included is a math problem that doesn't quite add up. You want to know one particular idol that stands between you and the God who is worthy to receive your worship? It is you being told by your culture and you believing it to be true that anything that gets in the way of your success professionally and anything that stands in the way of your children achieving what you believe they ought to have is more important than the life of the church and the worship of God. I'm not suggesting that's a particular idol that you have But I would say, if it is, I'm not surprised. Whatever that idol is, whatever you fashion it in your minds, no matter how you excuse it and say, Pastor, you do not understand, the commandment says, You shall not worship any God before me. Which leaves me with this question I want to ask you Where are you then? In the great story of the Scriptures, in the beginning, God could have simply told Adam and Eve not to put anything before Him, and they had the ability to do that, and they didn't for a period of time. But when they fell into sin and us with them, we lost that ability. We want things in front of God. It is our nature after, fall, after the fall to put things between us and God so that God does not receive the glory He deserves. In fact, we put those idols in that place with reckless abandon. We love it, and we tell ourselves what we ought to do. But when God saves us, He employs His almighty power to help us keep those idols from blocking our worship of Him. The Scriptures and the community of believers are given to us in such a way to say that God is doing a great and powerful work. Do you want to do something tremendously countercultural to the de churching of America? Here's a simple suggestion to you read your Bible and come to worship. Because when you come to worship, what you are proclaiming to yourself and your children and everyone who's around you and to a world at large is that there is no idol that stands between me and the God that deserves worship. This is the place where I offer to God what He deserves. But in addition to the Scriptures and the community of believers, God has given us one additional thing. This is not an add-on. It is, in fact, the central thing. He has not simply told us not to put anything before Him. He has not simply given us the Scriptures and the community of believers to help us. He has given us someone who stands rightfully between us and our Creator. He has given us a mediator in Jesus Christ. He has. Another way of describing these idols that I've described over and over tonight... Another way of describing these idols that block our worship of God is to say they are mediators that never work. They never bring us to God. They never give us fellowship with God. We're longing for fellowship with God. Since we fell, we're longing for it. They never work. We're hoping by using them, we will get the comfort and peace of God. We're expecting they will give us access to something that they only fail to give. But the Bible says about Jesus in Hebrews 7.25, that He ever lives to make intercession for us. Instead of blocking our access to God, He makes it possible. He draws us to God. He gives us a sweetness of fellowship with Him. He directs our worship toward the God of the universe in a way that brings greatest glory to Him. And to channel for a minute, John Piper not only gives greatest glory to God, but gives greatest pleasure to us. And then you have no need to look for other idols. No reason to look for peace somewhere else. Because through the mediator, Jesus Christ, we have consistent and satisfying access to the God of the universe. What does the first commandment say? You shall have no other gods before me. What do our idols do? Block that worship of God. What does Jesus Christ do? He gives us access as mediator to God himself. Enjoy a fellowship with the God who alone deserves our worship. Let's bow in prayer. Father, sometimes the commandments seem rather obvious to us if we've been in church for a while. We look at these commandments and we say, you know, I've heard these before, maybe I've read them. But I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would open our hearts to see the depth of, of what the commandments seek in our hearts. Not just the performance of outward conformity to the law. The commandments are meant to drive deep into our being, to the very heart of our passions and desires, to the things that move and motivate us. And Lord, in all the ways that we seek idols, hoping they will do good for us, we are so grateful tonight that by the power of your Spirit and your Word in the community of believers, you are turning us more and more away from idols to Jesus Christ and Him alone. I pray for those tonight who have listened either here or over our stream, and they're thinking to themselves, I think I'm captured by the power of idols. Lord, release them. I pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ and yet recognize in our lives still the influence of those idols, cast them down, Lord. Help us to see what it means to disdain anything but Jesus Christ as our great hope. Father, hear us, for we, are, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.